Hi, Wine Delusters. Today's episode's all about coffee. Welcome to the Wine Delust podcast. My name's Janine. In this season, I'm speaking to a dozen very impressive women that work in the wine and broader hospitality and tourism industry. Each episode will focus on one particular job and we'll learn what skills you need, the best parts of the work, and the most challenging parts. So pour yourself a glass and let's get started. In today's world, if you know how to make a good cup of coffee, you will find a job. In this episode, I'm speaking to Yanina Ferreira, who came to Australia and undertook a hospitality course as an international student. And this opened such exciting doors for her. You will hear in this chat that I don't know very much about coffee at all. I know I like to drink it, but I've never really thought about where the beans come from, how they're produced, how they're blended or roasted. There's actually a lot of similarity between wine and coffee, and I found Yanina fascinating to talk to. It will make you view your morning coffee with a lot more appreciation. Welcome, Yanina. Hi, Yanina. Thank you so much for joining me on the Wine Delos podcast today. So you are a superstar in the coffee world, but let's go back to the start. I saw you did some study at Canberra Institute of Technology. Is that where you got into hospitality and into coffee? Yeah, well, thank you for having me, first of all. (laughs) Uh, Hello to everyone that is listening. And uh, yeah, I started, I came to Australia 13 years ago. And one of the main things I needed to do to stay was to get a student visa. So I joined hospitality management at CIT. I did that for two years. You know, it includes a lot of like different subjects that are related to uh, human resources or accounting or management. Uh, but as well, we had like cafe class and cocktail class. So yeah, it's a little bit of like fun and serious business. I was working in a cafe already, yeah. which uh, yeah put me in a bit of a funny scenario on my first cafe class because the teacher was telling us how you were not meant to wash the the porta filters and I was like oh you are meant to wash them but it was very very old school information back on the day they used to believe that the oils you know of the machine would like seize on the seize on the machine and you are not meant to clean that um so yeah like you know the teacher was like cool do you want to show us how it's done and I was like okay like my (laughs) 21 year old self you know the year after that on my second year of studies, I was actually helping the teacher teach the class of first oh, year. Oh wow! Yeah, it was pretty funny. And then you were the you worked at the cafe on on the campus as well. I did work on that cafe, Cafe Yala. Um, I, then after working a, as a barista, I managed the cafe, which helped me as well work out you know with my sponsorship and stay in Australia. So yeah, oh, that was right. my, my pathway in. Yeah, and so when did you realize that you loved coffee? I think it's um, at the very beginning, so I was studying psychology before coming to Australia. Um, I always had this thing of like helping people, whatever that means. And then when I came over here, my plan was, you know, get a job in coffee, uh, try to get my permanent residency and then go back to psychology. And when I was very close to get my permanent residency, like I really didn't feel like leaving coffee. And so I gave myself some time to really think about it and I realize that you know you could also help people with business and you can also do transformation and real change in communities through you know partnerships business supporting each other having a strong business collaboration um so yeah i made the switch to to coffee i just couldn't leave it 
For how long were you a barista for before you moved sort of into management? I was barista still until 2016. I was behind the machine. Yeah, so from was... 2010 to 2016. Yeah. For people wanting to get into working in cafes and being a barista, what's the best part of the job? The best part of the job is the contact with the clients. I think that's something that became quite obvious even uh, during the pandemic um, because it's that like daily routine that mm. uh, seeing people, knowing the customers' names, they get to know you as well. Um, I think every barista has a moment where somebody has come to them and said, you make the best coffee. And you know that that's not personal. You know that <laughs> everybody gets told that at some point in their career. But uh, but she's creating that beautiful connection, like having a customer walking through the door going, oh, I'm glad she's behind the machine. Um, it's it's something that is very rewarding and, and beautiful because you're technically fueling everybody's days. Yes. You work in the place that is everybody's breaks. Everybody looks forward to, you know, going to the cafe to grab a coffee, to grab something to eat. Uh, and you're just there all day listening to cool music and, you know, providing that. So it's kind of like, a, yeah, I, I used to say to the baristas, it's like working in Disney World, you know, like we, we are on the other side and, <laughs> You know, we are the entertainers. Yes, yes, the entertainers. And it's pretty fun, yeah. And what would be the challenging parts of that role? Uh, well, it's very physically demanding. Um, so it's something that is, it becomes harder as you grow older, depending on the pace of the cafe. But most of the cafes in Australia, they, they tend to be fast-paced. There's something about the coffee culture in, in Australia, and especially in Canberra, um, that is about volume. Uh, not so much about like uh, slow service with high quality. It's like fast service and high quality. Both things need to be met. Um, so yeah, it can be a bit demanding on the body as well. Uh, it's long standing, long, long hours standing. Um, you know, latte art requires a lot of like kind of muscle memory and like attention to detail. Yeah. You are a little bit hunched. I remember my, my physio back on the day was like, well, you know, you're on this position for, for long hours mm. of the day. So no wonder your shoulder hurts or this or that. So uh, there's definitely been a lot of um, technological improvements on that, like uh, in the way that you use the tamper, in the way that you distribute the coffee. Uh, there's been more and more developments to make it easy on the body of the barista. And I think the automation of coffee, it's going to continue to to grow on that direction. Yeah. Wow. You're with Owner Coffee now? I worked at Owner Coffee until 2016, and now I work at Project Origin. Right. I wasn't sure if they were linked. Okay, so... You... Yeah, they are linked. They they're, are. they're from the same um, founder. But uh, they're different businesses. One roast coffee and the other one supplies green beans for ah, coffee roasters. Right. Okay. Because I think Owner became very, very famous in Canberra when like, yes. the founder went off and became the best barista. Yeah, in the world. Well, yeah. And then I saw that you competed in the Australian Barista Championships and made the finals yes. like way back in 2016. And then in 2019, you were the Australian Brewers Cup champion. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me the difference between those two competitions? Yeah, so very, very easy. Barista competition, you have to use the, the coffee machine, like an espresso machine, uh, and you have to serve 12 drinks to four judges in a period of 15 minutes, and you get judged on many things, presentation, flavor, professionalism. Um, and then in Brewer's Cup, you just do not use the espresso machine. So filter coffee could be anything but the espresso machine and, and the stop top. Um, so you can make coffee oh. with, with a paper filter, you can make coffee with a Chemex, you can make coffee with a French press, any way that you want, but not using the espresso machine. Oh, yeah. right. 
right. Wow, that's a fantastic achievement then yeah. to have won that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, there, there's two different ways of like seeing the competition. And some people might believe that Brewers Cup is a bit more of the purist mm. vision because it's just coffee, it's filtered coffee. When in the other competition, you serve a milk base, you, you serve a signature drink. There's more ingredients linked to it, where in this one, it's just water and coffee. And the level of that competition is pretty high because yeah. a lot of people only need to invest on, you know, water minerals, uh, the coffee itself. So there's less flair that goes with it, which makes the, the competitors put very, very high quality coffees forward. And yeah, it makes it a very, it's, it's almost like it's Formula One in the point of view that like if you win, you win by 0.5 points or like, you know, it's just very, wow, yeah, it's, very it's, tight. it's very yeah. tough. Yeah. So what was your winning brew? Like how did you make it? Was it a filtered coffee? Yeah, it was a V60. So like it's a cone shape, kind of like a metallic cone, has a paper filter in it. Um, so you have to brew three and then the three judges need to score that. Uh, but there's also a bit of like a head judge scoring the consistency as well. And then there's a second round that is called compulsory service where they give you a coffee that you don't know what it is, but they gave every competitor the same coffee and you have to do your best with that coffee in a period of time. And then the judges are in a secret, like a kind of like in a different location. So they don't know that it's you making the coffee mm. and they score that blindly. So then yeah. they... The, you add the two scores and that gives you the, the champion oh, wow. so even if you have a very good presentation or a very good coffee you still have to do well on the compulsory service to be the champion so when you go to that championship they have all the equipment there and you decide what one you want to use or do you bring your own no, you bring you bring your own equipment yeah so it's a little bit of an investment on that side yeah um, because you want everything to be the same to look very well you know so yeah like you for example you would have probably I had three sets of scales that I use on stage, but then I had three sets of scales that I practice with that are not the same scales that I take on stage. That was just myself because yeah. I wanted everything to look amazing. But, you know, that just means, yeah, of course, a little bit more investment on, on our side. Yeah. And the same with the cones. Like I had cones that I would just use on stage. The kettles, you know, um, I, I had to put a little coat on them because some of them were a little bit old. So, you know, I wrapped them on this like beautiful coat uh, to, to look better on stage. So it, it's still like only for myself, at least like a full car of like, so you cannot oh take gosh. a passenger because <laughs> you take... You take your grinder with you, you know, you take, you have to take so much coffee with you. Uh, and the other thing is you have to take water. Yes. Um, so if you're competing in Melbourne and you're very familiar with the Canberra water, you might want to not risk it and take water with you. Wow. Yeah. Um, and when we went to the World Championship that was in Boston, we had to ship 200 kilos of Australia water to Boston as well. <laughs> Oh my god, that's um, that's a huge and undertaking, yeah. And you're talking to a, like a filter brew that is probably you know 1.45, 1.6 TDS, which is total dissolved solid. So that means like it's only 1.4 percent coffee. The rest is water. So you definitely need to pay a lot of attention to what minerals are in it, what kind of water is it. I did a lot of crazy research. Like I really. I enjoy it back then, but when I look back sometimes, it gives me a little bit of stress to think about how down the rabbit hole you can go with water because, you know, you have, for example, the water minerals you use, let's say magnesium. Magnesium helps with um, enhancing the acidity in the coffee, but which magnesium? Magnesium chloride, magnesium sulfate, and then how you're preparing that magnesium and for how long are you leaving that magnesium on the bottle that you're going to add to the water until that magnesium is no longer good. 
Um, and science can give you some of those answers, but sometimes science would give us an answer. For example, purity equals better quality of magnesium. Uh, but in some cases we have found that like the non-so pure magnesium was giving us a better result on the coffee. Uh, so, you know, you listen to the science, of course, but then you also have to do a lot of trial and error yourself to see what you are happy with. Uh, and in some cases you might choose to use a mineral that is actually not as high quality because it works better. So yeah, it's a little bit, oh my God. it's a little bit stressful. Wow, that's uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you can get, go really down the rabbit hole and then no wonder that like, you know, when you, when you go back to your normal life and, and, and your morning coffee and like, and you know, you can understand why those competition coffees are, are harder to replicate on the mm. everyday life. It, it's not like you cannot make them, but you can get close to them, maybe 80, 85%. But yeah, to get to that 100%, you, you have to be so in it. So what's, what's your go-to coffee in the morning? I drink, drink filter coffee yeah. in the morning at home. And if I have to go out to a cafe or something, I really like to get a cheeky flat white. Just because I can't make it at home, uh, yeah. and I and I miss that like you know milky coffee. Oh, but you don't have an espresso machine, no. Not at home, no. Yeah. It's it's a lot of equipment otherwise. Yeah. But um, but I I fully respect the people that has the commitment, you know, to, to have the, <laughs> the espresso machine at home. Yeah, and I was into espresso until you know left my job as a barista. Um, I didn't even enjoy drinking filter coffees before, but mm-hmm. then when I stopped working at the cafe and like the only way that I could explain people what I do for a living, because it's like a bit complicated. So I would travel to Argentina and, and brew coffees for my parents and be like, all right, could, this is the difference between this process <laughs> and this process. And, and sometimes I would just grind the coffee and they would smell it and go like, oh, you know, the, the smell is so different. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't really notice the difference on the flavor at the beginning but definitely the smell was so different so I was like all right could like that's that's something um and then when I travel to the origin countries and I talk to coffee producers as well you know the, the way to communicate is filter coffee a lot of those places might not have an espresso machine or you might not have an espresso machine in a farm yeah um, but you you're able to brew a filter so yeah it became the language in which I could communicate with others yeah so now you work for Project Origin how did you make the jump from being a barista into the um, buyer? Into- yeah, so when in 2015, I did my first trip to Honduras and Colombia, first origin trip. Um, and the moment I stand on a farm, I was like, this is what I want to do for a living. I, okay. I, it really, really felt um, that's where I wanted to be. Um, when I came back to the bar, it was quite like a bit of a shock for me. Like I, I didn't find myself as happy. Um, so yeah, I started to work, uh, towards making the career change, you know, talk of course with my boss and, um, and try to get a little bit of advice on how could I transfer some of those skills to, cause it's a completely different career. Yes, actually. that's right. It sounds yeah. like, uh, like, you know, that, that there's things that are transferable. I, I guess it's similar to like, you know, being a wine taster and then saying, well, I want to be a winemaker yeah, now. Yeah. It would help you to know how to taste, but like, it's a, it's a whole new thing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you, yes. Cause you've got the skill of knowing what coffee you, you want to buy or mm-hmm. that you like yeah but um so how did you get on that first trip to honduras and colombia did you did um owner um, um so sasha was organizing yeah. a trip uh that was actually when they were filming the coffee man movie oh, right. um and and i have asked him before before that like if i could join him on his next origin trip that happened to be the one yeah, that great. was the next one i got lucky to be given the okay to yeah. attend uh and yeah that that changed it all for me 
And I know you're off to Ethiopia soon. So how many countries in the world produce coffee? Oh, a lot. Yeah. Like, so coffee is produced between the tropics. Um, and, you know, some countries might be known for producing coffee. Some countries are not as known for producing coffee. But a lot of the countries in the tropics would have some sort of coffee. Mm. Um, so, for example, Sri Lanka might not be a country that comes to mind when you think of coffee, but they are producing coffee. Myanmar, same. Right. Australia, same. Um, so you have, you know, the, mm. the ones that are, like, very well known for it. Um, and some of the emerging origins as well. Uh, so at the moment, we source coffee from 18 different countries, wow. but there's definitely way more that are producing, and there's new ones coming up. Yeah. So you're saying in Australia, so is that up near, like, far north Queensland? Yes, or? yes, and Northern Territory as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, and do you guys source coffee from there? We're working on it. Yeah, yeah. we're working with someone. We only started this year. So now you go to these countries and you visit certain farms, mm -hmm. and... So what does your job involve? So I'm the green bean sourcing and also I work with international sales. So I do both things, buying and selling. When you work with a particular country, it depends on which stage it is, right? But at the very beginning, you might first start exploring through samples and, and seeing like what's the quality coming out of like that place, maybe the explore different regions. And you start chatting with coffee producers and, and talk to them about like, a long-term relationship if they're interested um, you know some some producers would be like oh, I'm happy to sell to the big the biggest bidder and some of them are looking for long-term relationships so you just like gauge that um, from the beginning and then maybe in year two or year three you know you always try to like buy from the same people again and again establish those relationships and then then start doing maybe some experimental processing with them uh, or start having a bit of a more of a say on the direction of the style of the coffee that is being produced to match the market that you are selling on. Uh, so, so there's like a forever kind of like feedback loop yeah. with the producer because the producer will produce the, the coffee, but the market continues to change around the world and different areas of the world like different things. Mm. Um, so, you know, you might just be able to direct them into something that would give them the most bang for buck. Yeah. So the green beans are the is what's grown mm -hmm. and then you import them to australia correct yeah and then you roast them here so the roasters will roast them yeah i just sell the green beans to the roasters right. so similar to like uh i sell the grapes and the winemaker yes. makes the wine yeah it's a bit like that yeah. like we we just source the the raw material and then the roasters will do as they please with it so when right and then the so the sales part is you just selling the beans onto other roasters. to the roasters correct right yes. fantastic yeah. oh wow You've got in from 18 different countries, so you're off to Ethiopia next. Where, what other countries? Because um, yeah. it just sounds so exotic, like, yeah. So we're doing Kenya, Ethiopia very soon. Um, that's going to be a, a processing trip. So basically we go at the time that uh, coffee is being harvested and then we're going to do some work with the fermentation of the coffee uh, and the drying techniques of the coffee. And that coffee might be ready around like middle of January or February. And then in February, we will go again as a tasting trip or a buying trip where all those coffees will by then be kind of like ready to be purchased and then bring clients with us, taste the coffees and then organize different shipments. Some shipments to Australia, some shipments directly to other countries because we have clients all over the world. Wow. And that's just for one country. And uh, so, you know, you need to do that with every single country that wow. is harvesting, which at the moment is going to be the majority of them. Not all of them, but the majority of them usually have their harvest between December and, and Feb. It's busy times for, uh, for us 
now it's like the calm before the storm yeah. a little bit. So right now we are in the process of buying, for example, Brazil, uh, Peru, uh, Bolivia is going to come up soon. Ecuador is at the moment like uh, in the process of buying. Um, but then once you finish the buying, you know, that you put the coffees on the containers, they, they will start coming to Australia and then you are in time to buy other countries. Wow. So you're constantly sort of like buying. There's very few months in the year where you're not in buying mode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Feb, March, April are probably the biggest months because, you know, you have all your Central American countries ready to go. Um, you have Africa ready to go, uh, so that puts a lot of like volume of coffee. Yeah. You know, needed to be to be moving. Frequent flyer points. <laughs> oh, it is very good for the frequent flyer, I have to say. Uh, the only thing is like. You know, I always get to go to countries that are between the tropics. Mm. So I I consider myself well-traveled. But when I talk to a lot of my Australian friends, especially my wine friends, I have never been to those countries. Yeah. You know? So they're like, oh, what about Italy, France? And I'm like, I've never been, not even in transit. Because, you know, in transit, yeah. I go through the Middle East or yes. I go through the United States. Uh, but I don't go, you know, the, yeah. the, the wine producing countries are in the opposite areas. Yes, where yeah, I outside go. of the tropics. That's Correct. Right. The only place I've been that produces wine and coffee has been Ethiopia. But Ethiopia is not known for their wine. No. But they do have a little bit of it. And, uh, and they're... It's on their infancy, I think, but uh, you know, yeah. you should like everybody should keep an eye on it because um, wow. I think uh, also now uh, Bolivia is producing some wine, uh, Peru as well. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, eventually uh, some of the countries <laughs> I do travel to are are producing more wine. Um, that's funny what you said about Italy because um, Italy's famous for its coffee but is do they just roast it rather they than, just roast yeah. it so italy is famous because they invented the espresso machine yeah so that was a huge contribution to the to the world the same as um the arab countries right like they they invented drinking coffee really yeah. um but yeah they they started to produce it now a little bit yemen is doing some some very high quality coffee oh, um, yeah it's good to see yeah so in Australia, we grow a little tiny bit, but we do we roast, do we do a lot of roasting here? There's a lot of coffee roasters in Australia. Yeah, right. definitely. So in Canberra, for example, you have Ona Coffee, you have Barrio, you have Red Brick, mm. you have Prism. Uh, I'm very sorry if I'm forgetting that. There's a lot of other tiny roasters. Wow. Um, I, I have even met some roasters that are uh, like they roast at their own house and they just come over to our warehouse, they buy a little bit of green beans yeah. uh, and they roast at their own house, some of them for consumption of them and their neighbors and some of them they, you know, they create business that supplies cafes. Yeah. Uh, but that's just Canberra, right? Yeah. Then we have clients um, all over Australia. For example, we have a very good client down the coast, close to Batesman Bay, um, we, it's called Gorilla Roasters. That's a happy place I go when I go to the coast. I like oh, get to drink a lot of fancy coffees from them as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, and then international as well. Is there many um, green bean buyers in Australia? Um, I don't have an exact number, but I would say that there might be more than 10 or more okay. than 15 companies doing it. Uh, but they, are do, they all do things slightly different. Of so you course, might have yeah. a... You might have a, uh, for example, there's a company called CoffeeNet. They import only Colombia coffee. Right. Um, so you might have another one is called Minas Hill, and they import only Brazil coffee. So mm. there's a few that import multiple uh, countries, but their warehouses are usually based in the, either in Melbourne or Sydney, with the only one that is based in Canberra. Yeah. And is it a big organization? 
Well, we like to believe that we're very small. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if if you visit the warehouse, you'll probably be surprised how much coffee is in there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we import about 45 containers to Australia oh my God, uh, that's huge. per year. Um, they bring 20 tons each, roughly. And then uh, we do probably similar operation internationally. So those cargos would never touch Australia. Yeah. They just go directly from the origin countries to, to another destination. Yeah, Fantastic. so... So yeah, I think I think it is. We we're only a small company, but um, but we can't keep up with the growth. Yeah. So. And um, how many buyers like there's yourself? Um, it's a group of three at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So our boss, of course, as well. But uh, yeah, there's three of us that work on the sourcing team and and make decisions. Uh, you know, it's very important to stay calibrated with each other, also calibrated with the customers and calibrated with what the market is wanting. Right. So to give you some maybe idea of what what I mean is, for example, something that Australia market values a lot is acidity, which is, is not a surprise. They do it in wine as yes. well. But other countries might call that too sour. Mm. Um, so then other countries might value more body and sweetness, uh, which Australians might, you know, like also appreciate that, but sometimes overlook that because it's like, oh yeah, it's too chocolatey. Mm. No, I want something that is more more vibrant. So it's very interesting how, for example, in Australia, Brazil is used a lot to put on coffee blends uh, and to be drunk with milk, but not not as many roasters would maybe feature those coffees as a black coffee. Mm. But then you go to the Middle East and they love it. They absolutely love those chocolate-driven and caramel-driven coffees for black coffee. Um, so you have to kind of like calibrate yourself with the with the world market and, and what they found valuable um, so you can then match the right cof- coffee with the right customer. Wow. Yeah. So when you go to a coffee shop, is it, I just assume that there's one type of coffee that they, that they sell for, like you want a long black and, it's, and then you want a cappuccino, it's the same coffee, but would they sometimes have different coffee? Beans. Beans. Yes. <laughs> um, for each type of coffee, hundred oh percent. And and have a look, have a look in the bags. So you you might see on the menu, you know that they might list that they have a blend. Yeah. Like most of the time, they would call it a house blend. Uh, sometimes they might have a second blend called seasonal, or they might have a different name. Some cafes might have multiple blends, and inside those blends, there's blends of countries or wow. blends of coffees. And most of the time, when they talk about blends, they refer to blends of countries. If you look at, at the other side of the bag, you might see that it says, oh, 60% this kind of Brazilian coffee and, you know, 20% this other coffee. Uh, so, yeah, you you have a different... And, and the blends are there to to feel, like, to complete the puzzle. So similar to wine, right? Like, why would you be blending different grapes? Yeah. Well, you're trying to achieve a particular style yeah. and maybe weather was different and now you need to add a little bit more of this component to to create the similar balance coffee is the exact same so Mm. you go to your everyday cafe you always drink the house blend let's say you drink a latte every day so that roastery has the target to make sure that that flavor remains consistent even if there's harvest at different times of the year the stock is coming in sometimes the stock might be delayed sometimes that stock it's arriving and it's not exactly the same, so you might need to switch for another country or another coffee product. So, yeah, definitely there would be different blends. Um, I don't know if a cafe would do different blends for the same, like, for example, I don't think they're going to use a different blend for a flat white and a latte, but in some cafes, if you order a long black, you might be served a single origin rather than the blend, Um, and the single origin usually is showcasing one Mm. origin, yeah. 
Um, is it a bit like um, growing grapes in that the weather can impact the the beans each year and yeah. so the coffee beans can taste a little bit different? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's an agricultural product, so yeah. it's going to have variations. Um, and that's when a lot of the processing also comes in, which same with wine, right? Like you will choose how long to ferment based on mm. what you're trying to achieve. It's not like you have a rinse and repeat recipe that you do every year. Yeah. So the same happens with coffee. And then we, that's why right now is a bit the calm before the storm, because we, we basically choose waiting for Kenya and Ethiopia to go. Yep. Yeah, it looks like it's going to peak on this week. And that's when we're going to go. <clears throat> um, but at the moment, you know, it's been a little bit cooler. It's been too much rain. I mean, it's happening everywhere. Um, so we're yeah. waiting on that kind of like final call to go, cool, this is the week we're going. Yeah, yeah wow. And, okay, I'm going to ask a really stupid question now. Um, coffee beans grow, what's the type of plant that they grow on? Is it? it it's a coffee tree. It's a tree, yeah. yes. And so is it? Is it small beans that they... Like... So it grows in a cherry. Uh, oh, yeah. shape and inside the cherry there are the two beans growing together like twins so it's very so, high labor to get the, yeah, yeah so that's why one side is flat because they, they grow together um, and then once you pick that cherry you have to decide how you're going to access that bean right so in a very very simplistic way if you just let that cherry to dry we call that natural process and then eventually when that cherry becomes hard and dry we put it through a dehaller and then we access the green bean, mm -hmm. and that coffee would be called natural process. So if you look at your coffee bags, you might say Brazil, yellow bourbon, natural, and nice. that's what it means. If you grab that cherry fresh, and then you put it through a machine that looks like a cheese grater, a gigantic mm. cheese grater, wow. and then you know you depulp it, so the fruit comes on one side, the bean come on the other side, and then you decide to dry that, like you have what we call wash process. Uh, there's a million different ways to achieve that. Um, some of them require more water. Some of them require less water. There might be a fermentation period in the middle as well to remove the mucilage of the of the seed. Um, so yeah, that's that's the bit where we come in as well, and we go. Oh well, what about we grab all these cherries, for example? We put them inside a tank. We seal it with CO2, and we do our carbonic maceration, like in wine, wow. uh, but with coffee. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the experimental processing, it's that, right? It's like, yeah. it's changing that process a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, you might do it anaerobic fermentations. You might do like in, in some places are doing fermentations with fruits, which might infuse a little bit the flavor of the coffee later on. Yeah. In other places, they're submerging the whole thing in water and then they rinse in it like a couple of times. Oh my gosh, um, I'm learning so much. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone that wants a career similar to yours. You need to start with the study of the hospitality is a good way to get. It's a good way. It helps. Definitely helps. I think any business management helps a lot because there's a lot of passionate people out there, but there's not as many passionate people that also understand business management. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a, I think that's a crucial thing. Yes. Um, and if, if you're only passionate, like it'll take you a lot longer to gather some of the, yeah. of that knowledge. It took me a long time. Like I, uh, you know, I didn't go to university. I went to CIT, but um, no, I work with people that have done finance. Yeah. Uh, you know. So uh, maybe having correct. that sort of business management background would be. A, it helps a lot, yeah. and then the sensory as well. Yes, it helps I was going to say you've got an amazing palate, so yeah, yeah. you need to have, yeah. and this and I guess the smells and yeah. Yeah, but but like I always say to people, you know, I I don't think I have an amazing palate. I just have trained my palate mm. to do what I do. Um, but you've got and, good vocabulary around it. I think that that's the thing that a lot of us like 
struggle with, like I know with wine tasting, and I think and it would certainly be the same with coffee from what yeah. you've talked about, you you need to you need to be able to put the language around 100%. the different smells and tastes and things like that to yeah. be able to explain it, especially if you're going to be then marketing it to other but, people. But if your career depends on it, like, trust me, you'll pick it up. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always said, because when people, people sometimes can get a bit discouraged and they're like, oh, you know, it's going to take me so long to like, and I'm like, not really. Like if you... The, the only thing you need to do is build a pathway between your mouth and your brain. Mm. So there, there's a pathway between your mouth and your brain that if you don't use it, it's going to take a long time. Mm. So you, you get the classic that people are drinking something and they're going, hmm, yes, oh, I can, what is that thing? I yeah. can't really pinpoint <laughs> it, right? And that is because the pathway <clears throat> is, not, is, is not as often. But what I always say to people that are beginners, especially with anything that is sensorial, is just try to ask the question to your brain instead of just say something even if he's like i like it or i don't like it mm. all right that's fine so you have like wine number one or coffee number one and then number two and number three and if your brain tells you i like number one i like number two i like number three then ask the question why do you like them mm. are they all the same and then straight away you might go no well they're not the same okay what's different yes. about them so it's just a process of like asking the question and the only difference with me is i have asked the question way too many times yeah too quickly so it's like just just tell me one sip what what are you getting like you can be a super taster and that's amazing if you are I'm certainly not so then the other option is well then you need to train with repetition so well, mm. one thing that I used to do back on the day was you know you grab a, a pink lady red apple and then I eat a pink lady red apple every day of the week mm. and then next week I'll change to you know a different like a delicious red apple uh, but then in the middle of the week I might pick a pink lady and then go oh yeah that is very different one from the other right because it's repetition so you're so, so right about this this happens across so many different sorts of food and that that we don't yeah. even mm. because sometimes if you if you just put a bunch of fruits together and then you're like trying to tell the difference between a white peach and a yellow peach if you do it at once off it's very hard to like pick that information but if you only eat yellow peach, the day you pick the white peach, you're like, oh, this is worlds apart. It's mm. so different. Um, so, you know, you can help yourself with that repetition. It doesn't need to be expensive. You can do it with tea yeah, as well. Yeah. Like that's something that for, for things that are very specific. Thank you so much. That has um, been so interesting. I've learned so much. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank you. For everything discussed today, please check the show notes or head over to windelust.com.au and also a big thank you to the ACT Government Office for Women for supporting this series. Thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe now to get each episode as they drop. You can also check out this podcast on YouTube and see pictures of the region and the people I've spoken to. Go to windelust.com.au, that's W-I-N-E-D-E-R-L-U-S-T dot com for everything discussed today. You can also subscribe to my newsletter to hear all about my upcoming events and other news. Till next time, happy wine travels.